When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I can think of no better way for an episode of Best Ball Bros with the one and only Pat Green to start than with technical than with some technical difficulties but we are having some technical difficulties pat will be in here in just a second hopefully we can get his video going but i really thought it was the perfect intro as you can see i can't even keep it together the perfect intro for the one and only pat Garain if uh his stuff was busted and his video wasn't working and he was having technical difficulties so we'll see if we can get pat in but let's let's just go ahead and get into the show <sighs> welcome to another episode of best ball bros Give me your click, but you don't have to listen. Oh, you had Gabriel Davis at 67%. Oh, sweetie, that's so hot. Can I curse on the show? Absolutely. I was so fucking bad. How can I lose? And the answer was by starting Allen Robinson over Jamar Chase. <laughs> well, last year kind of attached myself to Trey Sermon, which hasn't worked out too well. Bill, if you ever listen to this, I love you. He's just such a boomer now that it's painful. Mm-hmm. I did think I was going to play in the NBA uh, when I was like six. I'm going to tell Evan Silva their boy. Went to the bathroom and just like told Evan, hey man, this is the top 15. People love the life hacks. <laughs> All right, Pat is restarting his computer. So we are getting our technical difficulties ironed out. As Matt says, (laughs) you nailed it with the first correct take of the entire stream. Matt says, I assume Pat's having technical difficulties. We will have Pat in very, very shortly. Um, I can hit some of these questions before we get to the actual fun parts of the show, which you guys are here to talk to Pat and hear a little bit more about Pat. But also, I have to tell you, before we went live, we were about to go live, and Pat's video camera stopped working. So, like, in StreamYard, it just drops you off the stream. If, like, the connection to your camera stops working. And so he he, he adds it back in, but... You can't see his camera's out. Only his audio is working. So there's just like, you know, like the outline of the human or whatever, the head, like avatar, like preloaded blank avatar was just Pat, but it also like makes it look like he's talking. It was absolutely incredible. I was really hoping we would get live with that, like no face Pat, this fake avatar. Um, But yeah, he'll be here. He'll be here in a second. We were trying to, we were trying to time it up perfectly and it's all good. David asks, one of my biggest questions so far, and um, while Pat's getting restarted, if you have questions, 
comments. You want to know anything about Pat? All questions are good questions. If you want to know what it's like to be on ship chasing with those other crazies every single week, what it's like to work at Big Peacock, any of that, drop the questions in the chat while we are waiting. But David asked one of my biggest questions so far. Does Nick Chubb have the kind of, ooh, a great question for the author of the legendary Upside articles last year. Does Nick Chubb have the kind of legendary Upside we want for underdog tournaments? No, he doesn't catch passes, but he has explosive Upside and as high a ceiling as anyone. It's a really great question and a really tricky one, I think. Um, so I'm interested in Pat's, I'll be very interested in Pat's take when he gets on about archetypes like Nick Chubb, who very clearly have um, a limited ceiling from you know, a traditional sense that we think of, right? Which is you need a certain level of passing game work to reach, you know, even like when Dalvin Cook had a, a monster season two years ago, he saw a whole lot more passing game work than um, Nick Chubb does. But even then, he was like bordering on non-legendary. All right. Let's get to the real meat and potatoes of the show. Here he is, the man, the one and only. How's it going? Packering. Everything, is everything working out, Pat? We did the intro. It's working out. Yeah. I'm dealing with yeah. so many technical issues these days. It's rough. <laughs> My camera now, I feel like it, I, it's way grainier than it was 20 minutes ago and i look gray and dead so i don't know yeah, you, what you definitely do you definitely do it looks you look miserable you just from like the skin like are you sick you look like you're no Ill. it looks like i'm a zombie i don't know what <laughs> camera setting this is i had to restart my i, I didn't even know my computer was going to restart because my camera stopped working so i was trying to fix that and then the, the computer restarts it comes back once it comes back with this the worst skin tone I've ever... I mean, my skin is not great to begin with. So, this is not helping. Yeah. Oh, that is great. Also, shout out to Rob Coakley with one of the greatest nicknames I think I've ever um, heard on, amazing. on recent spot. Rob is a very smart person. Don't let him know that I said that. So, before we get into more fun conversation, what I, what I ask everybody to like kick off the show before we dive in is... What is the worst fantasy football take you've ever had? Like whether it's since you've been, you know, working in the space or like could be many years ago, what is like the absolute worst take that you've had? Well, I've been into some rookies that have busted pretty hard. Uh, Jalen Rager is, <laughs> is one of those. So I feel like falling in love with, uh, with you know, the worst rookie in a class is, has happened to me. It's happened to, happened to the best of us, but, you know, it's definitely happened to me. <laughs> I can definitely attest to falling in love with a rookie who never stepped foot onto the field for an entire season. And I ended up drafting him, you know, in the seventh round uh, of best ball tournament. That's probably, I, I think I would rather have Jalen Rager, even though you had to suffer through having Rager when Jefferson was going nuts, at least like, I don't know, there's like uh, a little extra misery and like, he's at least out there. Like he might catch a touchdown. I'm just watching this dumb shit hold a clipboard you know, on the sideline behind, <laughs> behind behind an awful quarterback. It's not like he was like Aaron Rodgers who got drafted in behind Brett Favre. The dude got drafted in behind Jimmy G, who they can't even trade to it. Nobody yeah, wants No him. one wants him for anything. <laughs> yeah, so, it's unclear yeah. he would be a starter even if they cut him. So. <laughs> right, exactly. He could get cut, and he may not start somewhere else, and they traded everything 
They traded their future to move up to number three to draft this kid, and we're like, nope, he, that's how bad he is. We don't care. We're not putting yeah. him in the game. Well, I also drafted a lot of Trey Lance last year, so that was another, yeah. another bad one. I would say this is a good one. Sean says Pat looks <laughs> looks like he just had to landscape Leone's yard, except it's the wrong skin skin complexion. If you've been outside working in the uh, working in it, now we're getting but now we're getting. I'm, to, just, I'm just trying to change the white balance here. See if that's anything. It's also grainy. I mean, it's just this is a terrible setup all of a sudden. The the people also know you well. David says he already he predicted he predicted your uh, your worst <laughs> take of of, of Jalen Rager over. Uh, this is also very good. Nick says. Big Peacock is sucking the life out of out of Kareem. That is that is very good. And and your your camera is there a depression mode on your camera? Jared wants to I just know. I just I just entered depression mode. <laughs> oh man! So uh, can I turn up my mic? So my mic is broken. So this is the technical difficulties episode of of the show. Um, I'll go into my settings while I'm doing this, but we're working off shitty audio over here and Pat's working off shitty video because this is, this is just for looks here. This is so that I look good. This thing doesn't work anymore. And I'm waiting on my new, uh, mic tomorrow. So thank you guys for dealing with us during this, uh, epic shit show of, uh, of a Wednesday. I do appreciate it. Yeah. Fantasy football podcast. So Pat, how has this first wave of the craziest fantasy football summer been going for you both like with work stuff and have you been drafting how much have you been drafting what's kind of how's that been going yeah i've been drafting um i'm getting uh pat pat Darty and denny carter just like regularly uh slam me and kyle dvorak for for being crazy drafters out out here in the drafting streets i thought that's what we did i thought we were uh fantasy football in it so we draft but, <laughs> <Right>. you know, <laughs> apparently i'm a wacky guy who drafts in may um, yeah, so I've been I've been drafting. I, although I mean, you know, in fairness to to Pat and Denny, I also think that that some of the people just slamming drafts every day are a little wacky because uh, uh, I'm still kind of easing into the to the water right now. I've got some slow drafts going. Made the mistake of entering a DraftKings slow draft, which has been the bane of my existence. Oh yeah, um, yeah, to, that was a mistake. But you know, got a bunch of puppy slows going. Got some best ball mania slows going. Um, and I, I'm a big fan of, of the barbell strategy. You kind of got me onto that last year. I think I, this year with the best ball mini, I'm going to end up doing kind of more late than early. Um, mm-hmm. And I'll probably end up splitting it up. Like maybe I'll get like 30 best ball minis in in kind of the early session. And then I was also thinking I probably will drip some through the summer, even though yeah. that's like not optimal, just to like kind of get a feel for the ADP shifts in best ball mini. Um but yeah, I, I feel like I kind of missed that first wave of, I mean, I'm a dynasty guy, so I was doing rookie drafts and stuff. I wasn't, I didn't get that like sweet, sweet 12th round Sky more. Um, and so I'm like, am I, what am I even getting by drafting early right now? Should, should I just save bullets for the, you know, for the September period? It's, isn't it nuts that I have that same thought that I didn't get as many teams in, in those like first couple of days, particularly like the first day. So for anyone that doesn't know, they open up Best Ball Mania 3 on Underdog and like they can't have, it's not really possible for them to have efficient ADP, right? Like the rookies, you know, they basically just used an old form of ADP where the Sky Moors of the world, guys who, you know, hadn't signed in free agency and and mainly rookies. um, And then like the Packers guys 
were at old ADPs, like when Devontae Adams was still assumed to be to be on the team. Like, so this it's this old stale ADP, and so the it can't update that first day. So like you had to know going in, like Skymore did not have an ADP, right? And so like oh, you had man. to know, like go put that dude in your queue, like put all these rookies in your queue, put all that kind, you know, do all that. Uh, Rojo was another one. Rojo had like a 200 overall ADP. Obviously, he skyrocketed, etc. But if you knew all that, you could go in and strategically get. I was gonna try to pull up. I got one one team where I just so happened to get in a room that nobody knew any of this stuff. Literally 18th round Sky Moore. I wow. kept waiting just to see. And like I, I kept doing it on all these rookies. Like James <laughs> I would have broke so much earlier than that. That's that's impressive I, that you waited. I, I but like James Cook, 16th round, like I don't know, all all the rookies basically, and like guys that had moved teams, MVS and those those types, like get all those guys way too late. So it's all like ever since then, to your point, I've been like, why am I still drafting? I think I have the winner uh already you know from from day one but uh what so you you talked about the dynasty thing i'm actually super fascinated by this how have your like playing patterns changed at all obviously getting your your full-time job but with like the explosion of best ball and stuff that's what so many people are focused on but i know you've long been a dynasty guy and you know traditional managed leagues main event and all that kind of stuff how has all of this changed your fantasy football play i mean i'm just i'm playing a lot more best ball obviously um so i mean it's probably it just it's mostly added like i i i'm constantly the the issue with playing in dynasty leagues is that you add about one a year and, and you never get rid of any so right, like, right. and they all go forever so that's like uh, you're kind of constantly just dripping in more there. Um, we're still doing a ton of main event bullets this year. Uh, probably a little bit less than we did last year on chip chasing, but still a lot. Um, so there's just kind of more drafting going on. But I think, you know, you, you I heard you uh, on Leone's show talking about, you know, just getting that feel for the market. And, you know, I think this all kind of blends together. Like you get a sense for the rookie market then, you know, that helps you with your best ball drafts. The best ball drafts help you with the main event drafts. You kind of see things shifting over the course of uh, the summer. The dynasty leagues are really, a lot of it comes down to not just knowing the market, but being able to predict the market and, you know, protecting yourself with, you know, having a roster full of, of guys that are going to be players that people want after the season. Like that's a yeah. lot of what dynasty comes down to. And, so getting a sense, you know, you're doing that in a, in a more condensed version with the, the ADP stuff throughout a best ball summer, but getting an idea of like, you know, this guy's going to be going three rounds earlier, probably at the end of August, or, or this guy might actually continue to fall. Um, you know, I think Dynasty helps you out a bit with that. I think it, I think it helps you in just like these best ball drafts. I think so it was definitely you and and Sean and Gretch last year. Uh, so a couple different examples that have kind of actually like really framed, I think, a lot of my best ball play. But it was through the dynasty lens. And Sean and Gretch were specifically talking about like drafting teams as a, a best ball teams as if I was drafting a dynasty team and like go through and like just do that practice. And like you finish that team and you'll be surprised at actually how good of like a best ball team it will be. Because if you're a good, I'm not saying I'm a good dynasty player, but if you're a good dynasty player, 
you have that line of thinking that's like this is only a, a value up player right I, which in turn means like i really can't lose on him this year right last year how do you lose on jamar chase you don't really like you know you can only gain he only becomes more valuable this year as we saw he is now a top five pick right in fantasy drafts justin jefferson whatever jonathan taylor drafting those deandre swift all these guys have risen in value and so drafting with that dynasty approach just naturally puts you on the cohort of players who have the most upward mobility in their in their you know uh value from year to year and it's it's all it's literally just drafting like with a dynasty lens and then you talked about who i have since uh been trying to get on every single team that i uh dynasty or keeper league team or whatever and i think you it was you on a show with davis last year but you mentioned you guys were talking about like late season guys maybe thinking into the future on them and you mentioned javante actually who is you know one of my one of my guys this year and you were like now obviously melvin has come back but it's a one-year deal type of situation. But it was the dynasty thinking. You were thinking ahead from a dynasty view. Like, uh, the Broncos are probably going to get a quarterback. Melvin Gordon might be gone. This dude's really good at football. We should maybe be thinking about getting him, you know, before the market catches on in dynasty. And that has led me into also best ball, my dynasty stuff. And so I just think that whole methodology is actually like, if, if I were to transition, I, I don't think I would want to transition from a traditional managed league player. I think if you want to transition – it being from a dynasty angle, you actually can be really good at this best ball stuff. Yeah, sometimes I feel like I need to do it more. Where like I was, there was a stat that I'd found with um, regarding Debo Samuel last year, and I I originally had thrown it into a chat with uh, with Leone and Gretchen Pete, and I went and was looking for the stat because I wanted to reference it in an article, and it was you know like I said it was on, on Samuel. So I'm finding I'm searching Samuel and stuff, and I see my one of the notes I wrote was like, "Yeah, I really like Samuel, blah blah blah. I, I'd like him better in Dynasty, though." And I was just like, "No," <laughs> and we were pretty high on Samuel. We took a lot of Samuel, but like we yep. could have been, we could have been even more in. Um, you know, there were spots where we took like Devonta Smith over him in a main event, which obviously hurt. Um, so, you know, that feeling of like, "Yeah, I really like this guy, but I like him better in Dynasty." I kind of want to get away from that and. You know, if I like him in Dynasty, then he's probably a big win, small miss type of profile, like you're saying yep. with Chase. And that's really what Debo was last year. Like, we didn't know how it was going to work, um, but, you know, he'd been hyper productive. He's, you know, probably heading into 2021. His ADOT's going to be too low and he's going to be kind of gadgety and it's, it's not going to be, you know, as high volume as we need. But we saw quickly that, like, nope, he's actually going to get used downfield and and like a running back and he's a total smash and you know what he'd done to date as a young player you know has you really bullish long term well then i mean he's gonna pop in the next three years or something then you should you should hammer him now justin jefferson's a guy like that for me obviously where you know everyone's everyone loves justin jefferson but like i'm trying to get you know i'm trying to break ties towards justin jefferson um chase is very similar but you know, he feels like a guy who's going to have just an absolutely monstrous year in, you know, in the next like two, three years. So, um, you know, that, that's everyone loves Justin, Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase. But man, I, it's like it's hard to it's you just you, you always feel light on those guys. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's like the guys, you know, you want to get overweight on, but you you're also subject to randomness 
in <laughs> right. the draft slot right. that you get. You know what I mean? It's like, well, I want Justin Jefferson, but I also don't want to be have zero Jonathan Taylor and zero Christian McCaffrey, but I want to get over right. on these other two guys and they all go in the top four. <laughs> so like, uh, you know, this is a little bit of a tricky, a tricky thing. Were there any, were there any other guys um, either like from last year that you think you had similar type thing. So how I viewed the, the Debo thing was so, so true. We talked about this with Mark Andrews constantly, right? Where it was like, look, he's crazy efficient. He's incredible at earning targets. He's blah, blah, blah. E- e- checks every box, right? In terms of uh, from an efficiency perspective that we want. We're like, we just need them to throw the damn ball more. Like that, that, yeah. that was the only thing we needed. And like, I'm not, again, not that we were out on Mark Andrews, who certainly weren't, I drafted my, my share, but it was like so easy to see the path. And that was Debo. You're like, look at this. This dude is crazy efficient and he wins in so many different ways that like the other stuff probably doesn't matter. We just need more volume. Well, we got the, we, we got the volume, right? You know, he had, had caught almost 80 balls. And even though he's, we, we view him as just a running back now. I mean, the dude had 77 catches for 1400 right. yards. He averaged 20 yards. A catch. And he's awesome <laughs> downfield. That's, that's the crazy yeah. thing. <laughs> but were there, I look back and I do get mad about that. Cooper cup was actually one. Um, yeah. I think even on some ship chasing stuff throughout the course of the summer, by the end, I was just like, man, I'm really getting excited for Cooper cup. Like why have I not just been smashing this dude who was awesome with Jared Goff, he just like didn't score touchdowns. And now he has Matthew Stafford. I'm like, I would get mad at myself, like similar to the Debo thing. Was there anybody else like in that, not that you got mad about, but that from a dynasty lens, you were like, oh man, this guy I loved. And maybe you did or did not target enough in best ball. I think Andrews and Cup were probably the biggest ones where like, I I didn't love Cup in dynasty, but he's a player that I have. And, you know, I felt like pretty good about him. And you're just kind of like, yeah, he's going to, he's solid. And Nothing bad. Like he's he's locked into a good situation. He's going to be easy to move after the year. I want to, um, you know, that's kind of the way I look at it through dynasties. Like, you know, DeAndre Swift would be an example. Actually, and Javante Williams is a, is a, still a very very good example of like you are going to be able to move off of Javante Williams after the season because he plays with Russell Wilson. He's going to play with Russell Wilson next year. Melvin Gordon's going to be a year older and probably won't be there after the year. And we're going to be very excited about Javante Williams in early best ball drafts and dynasty drafts, et cetera. But that's all kind of a way of saying like Javante Williams isn't going to crater this year. And this is actually a year where, you know, I, I wrote the legendary upside articles last year. And one of the things that really jumped out was you really want the young running backs for, you know, the ones who are actually going to produce the 23 PPR points per game type of season. They're generally like 25 or younger. And yeah. we have a lot of running backs this year draft getting drafted highly that are 26 and older. Like almost all of them. Aaron Jones. Almost, Dal- Dal- almost Dal- all of them. Yep. Yeah, they're all older than you want. Even even McCaffrey. Like they're he's a little bit younger than some of the other guys, but like Derrick Henry's 28. Aaron Jones is late 27. Like uh just just only Kamara's older than you want. Like Connor, Fournette, like there's even a ton Mix, of them. Mixon, Mixon turns 27 during the season or something like that, yep. I think. So even he's not super young. Yeah. So that's like a situation where you're looking at, you know, like an existential risk to the running back position. And in a dynasty, like I was just working on my dynasty ranks right before this, actually. And all there's like that whole group of running backs that I have lower than market because I'm like, I think maybe 40% of these guys are just going to burn out this mm-hmm. year 
And so if that's the case, then like that should definitely affect our drafting for best ball, you know, and, and makes honestly a guy like Javante, a guy like Swift, I think more interesting because if we are in a running back environment where there's a lot of landmines in the early rounds, then like maybe the bar is a little bit lower for what Javante even has mm. to do. And if he gets you there, like in a best ball draft, like, you know, he just stays healthy, is in a really good offense and crushes in the playoffs. You know, that's all you – I really do think this could be a year where, like, that's more than enough. Yeah. I, lo- I also love be- – they be this this archetype of a guy you want in Dynasty and for all the reasons that you outlined. Well, why it's pertinent if someone isn't, like, kind of catching up, catching catching on to kind of the conversation is that that becomes, like you said, the small loss, big win player – but he's only going where he is going because of this very, very micro short-term focus lens that we put on this, on the ADP, right? Melvin Gordon is there. That is literally the only reason that Javante doesn't go up there top five, top, you know, as the RB3 or whatever, or right there. I mean, explain to me the difference between him and Jonathan Taylor if Melvin Gordon weren't there. It's really not that. I'm not saying he's He's, as a, he's in a better Taylor. offense. That's yeah, the main yeah. difference. He's, I'm not saying he's as good as Jonathan Taylor, but he's in a better offense. He's in a better situation. And so, but that, that point being, yes, we have to project Melvin Gordon. Look, I see it on Twitter every day. And I think I'm going to do, I think I'm going to start pivoting eventually from Trey Lance to Javante Fudd on Twitter. Cause people get really right. We need the, we need more Javante Fudd. Yeah. Yes. Cause a lot of people don't really like, don't really like uh, that. You know, when you push Javante, they're like, don't you know that Melvin Gordon is still there? I'm like, yeah, that's the reason why I can get him at the beginning of the third <laughs> round. Right. And like you said, this is Jonathan Taylor all over again. Look, Melvin Gordon is Melvin Gordon. If Javante Williams is a star, uh, that's the guy that just blows away the field and is going 101 next year. Will that happen? I have no idea. But that's the guy I want to draft, not the like you said, the twenty-eight-year-old who like could just turn to dust at any moment. And we're only drafting him because of what he did the last two or three years. And so um, I, I love that 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 angle. Couple questions that people have. Uh, first one, I don't I don't totally hate this 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 idea. Um, Hacker asks, "Isn't Javante just Antonio Gibson from last year?" My two-part answer is one, kind of, because they're a similar archetype in that. They're being held back by the fact that there was another teammate there, even though it was a young, exciting player with a profile that we want from an upside perspective. Only thing I will say is that Antonio Gibson had a lot more baked in risk from his situation than Javante does. Javante has a superstar quarterback with a bunch of really good football players around him in what there's no way barring injury. The Broncos are not at least decent above average on offense. We could not say that about Washington in my, in, in my opinion. So it's a little bit different. What do you think about that question? I think, I think it's a totally fair question. And I would, I would actually say, you know, we were a little bit excited about Washington because it feels like 10 years ago now, but Brian Fitzpatrick was supposed to be the Washington quarterback. And right. we were a little bit excited about that. And frankly, I think maybe it would have been fun if he hadn't gotten hurt. Yeah. Um, yep. They weren't a, a total mess, even with uh, Heineke, even though Heineke played pretty poorly. But um, I think it's a little bit different uh, because, well, first of all, they are a bit of a different player. And I think Javante probably yeah. makes more sense in on underdog and half PPR um, because he was just such a phenomenal rusher last season. And what he promised as a prospect 
which you know was he was supposed to be this hyper elusive back. I mean, just crush PFF's elusive rating. Um, was just impossible to bring down, and actually picks up yards after he breaks tackles, which you don't always see. I mean, that was kind of the David Montgomery story story early in his career. It's like he breaks a lot of yeah. tackles, but then you see him, and he's like shifted the guy, and then he's like. Right, I should have started running again. And Javante <laughs> actually does that and picks up a ton of yards, which is he's delivering on his prospect profile. I get really excited when I see that. Um, like the skills that got this guy drafted in the second round have already translated. Uh, so that makes me really excited about him just as a talent. Uh, but he's not got the kind of receiving upside, I think, that we were putting on to Gibson and that didn't come through. Yeah. Um but I mean, like get the Gibson style bet is one that I'll continue to make. I think it's a little bit different than the Javante bet, but they're sort of like two sides of the same coin. It's like a second year breakout, slightly different player archetype. Uh, but I think that is the type of bet you want to be making. And and one of the things that you learn kind of from doing a lot of the main event drafts and just like drafting year after year after year is like you really do start to see last year's results reflect uh, affect the following year ADP in some pretty significant ways. I mean, we had running backs stay healthy. In the second round, the second round running backs crushed last year. Um, the dead zone, again, continued to be a spot where you really wanted to have wide receivers in those those uh, rounds. But it's not just that the you know every running back hit from the early rounds. In fact, a lot of the guys that we were like most hyping up as potential enormous breakouts did not hit. Clyde Edwards, Lair, and Antonio Gibson were total busts. Mm-hmm. Daigle and I had a had a battle, a podcast battle where we I took Antonio Gibson and he took Clyde Edwards Elaire. Like we could have picked almost any other two running backs in the entire you know three first three rounds and it would have we would have actually help people. So you know it was a it was a year where like it's a year that's going to have people asking isn't this just Antonio Gibson? As if every year there's an Antonio Gibson and every year the older, more reliable guys do just fine. But usually it's the opposite of that actually. Usually yeah. it's it's the who's the going to be the Christian McCaffrey or who's going to be, you know, this this young running back who emerges as the guy you need, kind of like a Jonathan Taylor. I mean, I'm not saying Javante is necessarily on those guys' levels as a talent, but we see guys bursting out of that second round range uh, or even a bit later a decent amount. And we also see a lot of busts in usual years. So uh, I think the answer to the question is sort of like, yes, he kind of is this year's Antonio Gibson, and that's why I'm betting on him. Yeah, that's that. That's how I feel. I think people get really, and this is one thing I, I I push back on quite a bit. Not not like because I think it's silly to have like super strong your NFL football scouting takes and stuff. We've talked about this. I have mine too, but people get really into once we've identified the player archetype. That's it, really, right? I like you said. I want to target the Antonio Gibson cohort of player. I want to target the Javon, the twenty twenty five Javante Williams. Guess who I'm going to be drafting? Yeah, too. I have no regardless idea. of how this version of Javante yeah. Williams does, and regardless of of it precisely what I think about his skill, right? Exactly how skillful right. he is, right? There's a bar you have to have, but like beyond that, like is he Ladanian Tomlinson? No, is he better than Antonio Gibson? Yes, probably. You know, all that stuff is like whatever to me. I just want to find that archetype of a player. And maybe you don't believe Javante is. I think he is. And Antonio Gibson was. 
but I'm, I'm trying to find those types of players, right? Why did I draft Trey Lance? Because he's the type of player that presided, provided the upside that existed to win tournaments. Did he fail? Sure. The next Trey Lance, guess who I'm going to draft? The same thing. They, we're going to run it back again. And I think people get really caught up in, A, like you said, the results from the from the year before. But then also, like, we get really deep into, no, this guy has this skill or doesn't have this skill. Or, oh, did you see? Michael Carter outproduced him at North Carolina. And it's like, I don't give a shit about that. Jamison Williams had to transfer from fucking Ohio State because he couldn't get on the field. <laughs> you know, does that matter to me? No, absolutely not. And so um, I think trying to <clears> – <throat> have enough micro analysis i wonder like how how do you deal with this part because you are really looking into all these players have enough micro analysis that you you know you're smart enough to to analyze these players without getting so deep down in the weeds that like impacts your process i mean that's actually something i struggle with where like i want to be really high on the guys that i'm high on and sometimes like i've gone back and looked at stuff and it's like you know in your early writing you had these guys very similar and then by the end of the summer, you're like, you know, Rager every time or whatever the dumb, yeah, the dumb yeah. thing was that I did. So <laughs> it's like you it's like, why did why did like a near coin flip become like, you know, uh, a, a hill you were dying on between the two players? And it's because I think you kind of there's like confirmation bias that you're fighting. You're also uh, you're dealing with, you know, what you're saying where you're you're kind of like, you um, I mean, just for a variety of reasons, you end up just kind of like doubling down. Okay, I'm sorry, I'm super stressed. There's, there's this is sirens going. This is great. There's construction above. I'm sure you guys have noticed. There's construction <laughs> happening in the apartment above me. My dog is growling at. I don't even know what. There's no one out there. <laughs> there you go. There you go. This is. This has been from literally the moment you got on to even behind the scenes from the moment you got on this has been the literal perfect um freeze frame uh, it's un- so, unbelievable it is I, absolutely absolutely I, so perfect neil says i expect nothing less i agree this is exactly what this we isn't all a bit. this is just my life i know <laughs> this is just I just want some peace and quiet, man. This is so <laughs> a camera that doesn't make me look like a zombie. That one's going in the intro moving forward. So, Rob, if you're watching this, we need to add the this is not a bit. This is this is just my life <laughs> from from Karain into the intro. So perfect segue. We talked a lot about football and best ball and all that kind of stuff. What when when your life becomes a bit. So how I kind of always frame it like how how did we get to the to this point, right? Obviously, I, I've heard you speak a little bit about you know your kind of career and stuff before getting into full time fantasy fantasy football. But like, with how did you how did we get to ship chasing? How did we get here to working for NBC? How did we get to all this? Like, where did Pat Corrine, the fantasy football analyst, come from? Yeah, so I was writing articles uh, at Rotoviz. Um, that's how I started. I was just I had always played fantasy football, but I, w- I got kind of more into it um, as I was reading Rotoviz and was reading Rotoviz like every day. <laughs> Here we go. Yeah, <laughs> perfect. Me. So we're, I was reading Rotoviz like every day, like reading every article in Rotoviz, and I eventually submitted an article to right there, that, which got accepted. And um, that led to me writing there, and then I started podcasting there. There was a 
series of podcasts that I ended up doing with Ben Gretsch, where we interviewed beat writers, one for each team, and then we did upside and downside projections um, and discussed them. So that was like kind of a big, big stepping stone and sort of getting my like basically leveling me up like that, that whole yeah. thing, like leveled me up like three levels. And did then you know ben before, or was Ben just <clears throat> there and you guys got synced up or how did that happen? We got paired up. Uh, Matthew Friedman paired us up and um, Ben had been writing for the site and doing stuff. So I was familiar with Ben. Uh, we had talked yeah. before and everything, but, but yeah, we, that was the first thing we'd done together, um, which ended up being a ton of fun, ton of work, but a ton of fun. And then, uh, they put out a Fantasyland episode, uh, Friedman and Fantasy Douche and Pete Overzet were uh, doing Fantasyland. And I heard the first one was just like, oh, my God, this is incredible. And they needed help editing and and uh, kind of putting that stuff together. So ended up coming on to that team. And we did, I think, like 14, 15 episodes of that, which is like this highly, highly produced kind of this American lifestyle um, fantasy football podcast. And that's how I started working with Pete. We started doing a ship chasing uh, podcast together. It's kind of an outgrowth of one of those episodes where we tracked ourselves going down to Vegas, trying out high stakes. And um, that ended up becoming basically ship chasing one of those mm-hmm. fantasy land episodes. So, uh, but yeah, did that for a few years and it got kind of to a point where I was like, I had my normal job and I was doing a lot of fantasy stuff and it was like a lot to juggle. And yeah. I just kind of like, you know, I, I, at one point I was re- really kind of only doing ship chasing and just writing when like something hit me and uh, something I kind of like picked up from Pete of just like doing stuff that you really enjoy. And so I was like, I scaled everything like way back and was just kind of like, and then I kind of built back up from there, just like, you know, kind of doing things I was really enjoying and ended up getting a chance to to work with the Establish a Run guys. Um, and at that point I started kind of pushing more and more and uh that's how i ended up at uh at nbc and did you just uh any any questions i asked or, or the chat asked you don't ever have to answer anything or whatever but did you just like cold apply to for for a roto world job or did like somebody reach out to you or how did that how'd that go i'd heard you know that they were looking for uh for people and so i i'm like dm'd a little bit with pat just getting a a sense of like what the role was and, you know, yeah. um, you know, like that would be like a smart move for me to apply and stuff. So, um, it's kind of getting a sense of things. Cause like, you know, that I, a full-time job doing something completely different. I was like project managing these like energy installation, energy uh, monitoring installations, uh, at, at businesses, in in new york so it's like you know it's kind of like a big career jump if i'm going to be doing uh yeah. fantasy so i had a lot of questions and everything and then uh ended up applying and going through kind of a traditional you know interview process and everything with with a bunch of people over here isn't it isn't it such a weird transition like you almost don't know what to do with yourself when you first start like 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 your first day or first week first month or whatever doing like writing about fantasy football or podcasting about, and you're like, my paycheck is coming from, from this. It was cause same, same thing for me. So I, well, you know, I started um, like in finance, moved into it, ended up kind of back at finance after I did uh, a startup that didn't work out, but then 
ended up getting a job. Like I was working for a local financial place, actually. Like this was, you know, not the job I wanted for forever, but it was a pretty good job, actually. And that's when I got synced up with Cal on doing some project management stuff. And so same as you, I was doing that like on the side for RG. And then that turned into a full-time job. And it was like so weird. Like it's it's hard to describe. So like I do tell that to people like, you know, if this is really something that you want to do, like, you know, I'm not going to try to do the, oh, you should work for free Twitter post or whatever that people love to, uh, you know, embarrass themselves over. But if you are passionate about it, like, just do it, right? If, if, if it's something you enjoy and you have an idea, just write about it or podcast about it or whatever. And like, if it turns into nothing, it turns into nothing. But like, that's pretty much just what I did. I just started doing stuff. And the next thing you know, it just like leads into a full-time job. And um, that seems kind of like, uh, what what happened to you basically yeah in fact like the more i moved toward that the more it kind of became uh like i was making progress and i think it's like you know we i kind of wasn't working for free i was doing ship chasing with my buddy pete and like yeah, you know right, the, right. the thing with ship chasing is like i think part of the reason you know people have enjoyed it is because like those early episodes we're drafting a team and like we're we're live we're we're on the clock in a slow main event and Pete's on vacation, like, you know, he's he's stepped away from his girlfriend and or from his wife. And, you know, he's like <laughs> talking with me in a hot car about like who we're taking. And I'm like going on about like DK Metcalf versus DJ Chark or whatever. And, <laughs> you know, like this is not for anyone. I'm yeah. just not doing it for an audience. Like I was like literally just having a conversation with Pete that we recorded and like put out. And I was like, part of me is like, no one's listening to this and that's fine. That's not the point. The point is to like yep. win this to win the main event. We're trying to win the main event. We're almost just like recording it as like an afterthought. And like, that's been kind of the, the approach to the show in a lot of ways still, although we're like literally live streaming to an, to an actual audience. <laughs> I am aware people watch now, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, you kind of just like, just like get in the weeds and, and have fun. Like we're, we're just recording ourselves doing something that we would have done anyway. So um, truly did not feel like work. And we, we've never really had ads on that show. You know, it's like, we're, we're mm -hmm. kind of, uh, kind of just doing it as, as, as a passion project. But I think like, that's, you know, if you're doing stuff that you enjoy, then you're going to do it well. And if you're doing stuff well, yeah. then people are going to notice. It's, it's, it's also really like a cheat code. This whole space is, I think, again, if you're passionate about this, because that, that's what it is for me. So we do draft streams on Mondays and Fridays. And like, to your point, I'm drafting a best ball mania team. And I'm going to do it regardless of if I stream it or not. Like I'm drafting 150 of them over the course of the summer. So, and guess what? I'm trying to win when I draft, yeah. when I draft. So the same thing as you, I'm just like talking into this mic, whatever's going on in my brain as I'm clicking the buttons. It's like, it's, it's either me keeping it in my head, like walking the dogs, or it's me just doing it in, in front of this camera. Like it's no different. So, you know, like you said, it, it's like no work. And then, uh this show is just is bring either people i know that i want to talk to or people maybe that i don't even know that that well like on within the space and i'm like i don't know this is just fun for me i get to talk to other hear people's backgrounds and hear what they're interested in and then also hear like smart fantasy takes i'm like i just turned someone is paying me to just do all the things that i want to you know mm -hmm. that i like we like i would pay them to, to do you know what i mean well this is saving me time because like i was going to listen to this and now you know i'm on it so i don't have to <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> it's like i've got an hour later that i can spend <laughs> right 
<laughs> exactly. Um, and now I don't have like when I have the people on, <clears throat> or we have guests on to draft streams. Probably similar to like what you guys do with ship chasing. It's like, well, I could go listen to their podcast. No offense to everybody, I love all you guys' podcasts, but I. I do have other passions other than fantasy football. And so I do like to use those sometimes on like non-fantasy football related content since my life is fantasy football related content. So I'm like, well, I'll just have them on a show and ask them whatever yeah. I want to ask them then, you know? And the thing is people, I'm saying this and it's, you know, and you and I are saying this with enough of a platform to be able to maybe get some of those people or relationships. But what I would tell you is even if you're like starting out, dude, people in this space, the good ones, like, it, just reach out and like you, you want me like I'll talk to I'll talk to anybody about fantasy football <laughs> like you know there's so many people that are willing to help everybody people come on this people have come on this show on Wednesdays and half the half the the uh, guests have been like oh yeah Evan Silva put me into this job and it's like Evan Silva with hundreds of thousands of Twitter followers does not need to do shit for anybody else in this space if he doesn't want to but he goes out of his way to help like make the careers of people. And there's a lot, a lot of people out there that are willing to do that. Yeah. Like Silva would come on podcasts I was doing when I was like, just starting out, like, you know, didn't know anything. And it's like, you can book Evan Silva. It's like, you can, you write one article on Rotovis and then book Evan Silva. Like, how's that? How is that a thing? <laughs> but it was like, Silva was willing to do any podcast out there. And I think still is. So, you know, it's, it's pretty wild. I was looking at, cameo right for this uh, royal rumble that we're doing which if you haven't seen just go to the spike week twitter uh rob has put together some brilliant uh promo material around this best ball royal rumble i can't give away all the goods yet but very soon we'll announce kind of everything that's where the freeze frame crane came from if you uh if you, if you hadn't picked up on that but i was i was looking to book like a, a an old wrestler we're on this wrestling theme right I was looking to book like an old wrestler. And to your point about you were like, no one knew who I was. I wrote an article on Rotoviz and I was just like, hey, Evan Silva, one of the biggest names in fantasy football, would you like to come on my show? And he's like, sure. <laughs> I, I couldn't go book like, you know, Brett the Hitman Hart without spending like $1,000 for, you know, a 30 second cameo or, or whatever it is. But in fantasy football, I can just like, you can just, yeah, like Josh Norris incredibly awesome guy he'll probably come on your show if you just go ask him you know and so um it's a great thing about uh about this space and so i, I do i do try to kind of try to i'm usually just a dick like on twitter and a uh, shit poster and all that kind of stuff there are some good things about this uh, space that we work into oh for sure yeah the the community aspect of it is is awesome how do you do like do you take breaks from from the fantasy football podcast because i found myself recently like listening to a lot of fantasy football podcasts, but like in February wanted nothing to do with them. And it's just kind yeah. of, it's like really cyclical for me. So um, it's very cyclical for me. I, I, I can already tell you when the season gets here, I'm going to be so burnt out. I'm not, gonna, yeah, no, I'm not going to want to like, yeah. and, and like, you know, I do still work for Roto Grinder. So like, you know, when the NFL season gets here, it's like, you know, and I know you're doing tons of obviously stuff during the, during the regular season. Um, but so like, I'm not even going to like want to do that first like week of DFS. Cause I'm just going to be so burnt out from doing thousands of best ball drafts. But to your point uh, right now, like I'm a big NBA fan. So like the finals are going on. So like my, like eh, listening stuff, it gets wrapped around that. I'm not a huge baseball fan anymore. So like once NBA is over, it'll probably turn 
on to more um, fantasy football content. But right now, I actually don't. Or F one. I might. Well, it'll de- F one has already got its place. Nothing can knock F one off of the off the pedestal. Um, it has secured uh, a high priority ranking. In it my, has as uh, well. I've got like four F one podcasts in my in my feed. I, so I also um, I like to watch a lot on YouTube um of the f1 stuff because the visual helps me you know mm. like football or whatever i don't need I don't, I don't even need like you know like even if it's just like a, a, a an old mechanic like doing hand gestures and stuff like I don't, I don't know cars i don't know racing i don't know any of that stuff so like any extra added details help me with f1 stuff versus you know like uh whether i watch you guys on youtube or listen to the the audio right. version of ship chasing like that doesn't impact impact me at all so perfect lead into the f1 thing do you think the F1 F1 stuff for, for anybody that doesn't know? I'm a huge Formula One fan. Pat has also now become a big Formula One fan. Do you think that that's something that you're going to kind of continue as like a hobby and a some like a passion outside of outside of football, or just kind of like something you're interested in right now? Or how how has that just experience been? I do, although you know, I never know. Like I feel like I'm kind of. Um... A passenger at times to these things where it's like I'm really into F1 right now and you know maybe in nine months I won't be um yeah and I don't I don't think I'll like force it if I'm not but I think I I think I will be I mean I will say the Monaco Grand Prix like was rough I did not like it and the reaction that I heard from like many people who are you know much more into F1 and and for a longer time was positive People were like, this was an exciting one. There was rain. There was stuff to watch here, you know. And I was like, yeah. this sucked so bad. So Monaco's terrible. Monaco's terrible. I, I, it's I'm very much really anti-Monaco. Yeah. Or, you know, change the track or something. I don't know. I Like, I, I get, like, why there are parts of the course and kind of the whole spectacle element of it. And, like, the, the idea that you're racing through Monaco is kind yeah. of cool. Yeah. The spectacle is cool. I mean, the yachts and stuff. But I would rather watch the yachts, like, and, and that race went for three goddamn hours from, with all the rain. I would rather just probably sit there and stare at all the billions of dollars of <laughs> yachts that are sitting there in the water than watch the guys go around a track where yeah. nobody can pass anybody. Like, that's not yeah. very fun to me. Well, there's actually a moment in Drive to Survive where Ricardo, uh, spoilers for Drive to Survive, guys, Ricardo wins the Monaco Grand Prix, but he like has an issue with his car, and. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh my god! Like, how is he gonna? How is he possibly gonna win the Monaco Grand Prix with an issue with his car? Like, he's gonna have to drive so well, so defensively. Like, that's the way the show spins it, and he pulls it off, he wins, and then you're just like, you're left feeling like Ricardo, man, you really came through. Like, what a what an incredible performance! <laughs> and after seeing the Monaco Grand Prix, I'm like, it was a Monaco. Like, his wheel could have fell off. He, he could have yes. rolled. You know, like yeah. it, it's he doesn't matter. Got out- we could have got out. He could have pushed it. Yeah, you can't yeah, get around. Yeah. So uh, literally, if you watched this week, for this like almost happened to Fernando Alonso. He was so slow. He basically ugh. fucked everybody that was behind him, including Lewis Hamilton. Like they were all screwed because he was so slow, and he would then he was just trying to preserve his tires for one kind of last sprint to maintain his his points because he was in the points. But there was nothing anybody could do. I just imagine it's it was like a uh, it was just like a parade behind this dude. Like I imagine Lewis was just kind of like having a yeah. leisurely drive. Yeah, it's like a safety car. He turned into a yeah, safety car. Yeah, so, in in a so race, anyway. in a professional race, how is a winning strategy? Go slow. That is go the strategy slow. that he used. Uh, I'll go slow in this race, and that will help. Then something's hard. Something's gone horribly wrong. <laughs> <laughs> fix your fix your sport. 
It's a good fix your sport. Yes, please fix your sport. That's like if if the goal was like, okay, how am I going to win best ball best ball mania three? I'm going to draft a few <laughs> of guys who are going to accumulate points and like yeah. pray for a miracle or something. You know what I mean? Like you're going to do the opposite of what the objective of the race is. That yeah, I'm going to flip happens. the ADP. I'm going to draft the lowest yeah. ADP guys. Yeah, there you go. There you yeah. go. Exactly. We're going to start with the 18th round guys and work our way up to Jonathan Taylor. What I will say about the F1 thing is we're making it sound very bad, but that's really strictly just Monaco from a – It's from a Monaco a, thing. Uh, enter, en- yeah. En- enter- entertainment perspective. And I do feel this has been a, a, a pretty fun season. Did you watch it all before this year? Like any was this your first year watching races of, um, yes. since the documentary? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, this year has been, I think, really fun. I mean, the reason I'm kind of harping on Monaco partly is because heading into Monaco, I was like, nothing could make me not enjoy F1. Like I'm having such a fun ride with this F1 thing. Uh, I really like Lewis Hamilton. He's having a terrible year. Don't care. Love F1, right? Like don't root for Matt for stopping at all. Looks pretty clear. He's going (laughs) to win the championship again. Don't care. (laughs) I love F1. That was kind of my attitude, but uh, Monaco definitely was like, (laughs) I don't love Monaco. I'll tell you that. Uh, But I do still think uh, I'm, I'm loving F1. And it does make me feel better that there are some people out there that re- that truly hate Monaco that are huge F1 fans. So there's there's a, yes. a community for true F1 fans who who hate Monaco. So I don't think it has to be uh, mutually exclusive. I uh, think I think if if you're not familiar, how I would comp it, since everyone I'm sure is familiar with NFL, Monaco would be like a pre- like if they made the Thursday night Jags Titans games in a really cool location that was like with all these rich people around it. It was like that you put lipstick on lipstick on this pig, right? This Titans Jags Thursday night football that nobody on the planet wants to watch. But like we did it in downtown Vegas or something like, like, you know, I think that's, that's partly right. But I think it's also like they're playing in a version of the Cowboys stadium where like that giant jumbotron thing, is yeah. so low that you can't pass the ball. Yeah, you like you can pass in certain spots, you can get a pass off, but it, like you better be careful because it'll hit that. The jumbotron's real big and real low, so <laughs> so you're mostly just running. Even if you're like down yes. 14 points and there's like only five minutes left in the fourth quarter, you have to run because the jumbotron. You you will hit it if you try to pass. That's what yeah. Monaco feels like to me. Like it's fundamentally altering what the sport is supposed to be, just because like we really like the stadium for some reason. Right, and this is absolutely true. Sir Shebe says that the issue is actually not necessarily as much Monaco. It is that the technology, yeah. the cars have like gotten so freaking big that uh, you know there's just not enough room. Like, it's a street. It's a it's an actual city. You're driving through the city in this ginormous, ginormous. Yeah, they're really car. long. Like they're they're, they're huge. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it doesn't work anymore. Let's let's. No, uh, it doesn't. But yeah. F1 thought leadership continues still, despite the, <laughs> yeah. the miserable Monaco experience. The rain was pretty cool. The rain was pretty cool. And there's some pretty sick photos. Yeah. And, uh, and well, cool. That's one thing I, I do love about F1 is I think it's cool that these guys are just putting themselves in some of the most dangerous situations possible. And, like, I don't blink twice about it. I'm like, I guess that is a little bit of my American football fan in me. It's like you get excited for the big hit. Like, oh, that dude just took yeah. 10 years off of his life. But I got really excited when I watched, you know, Ed Reed kill this guy. It's like these guys are driving. These guys are driving so fast in this car 
that you can't see it's monsooning outside and there's all these sharp little little turns and you know barricades and all this and it's just an absolute shit show when you actually or like you get in the camera that's inside the car it's 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 absolutely wild it's totally wild it is yeah i'm glad that you know they're one thing that's kind of drawn me to f1 is like they're in good races and good tracks that suit the cars and everything like there is a lot of excitement beyond like crash. Like you're not rooting for crashes, right? Like that was no, right. Growing up, it's like, Oh, you, you got to watch an NASCAR. I'm like, this seems boring. It's like, well, you wait for the crashes. Those are the fun part. It's like <laughs> yeah. F1. There's actually, you know, racing passing. And this year has been cool. Cause you know, they changed the design of the cars and there's a lot more passing and uh, it's easier to follow and everything. So that's been really cool. But like, you know, Mick Schumacher spinning out and his car splitting in half, like, I don't want that. That seems terrible. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like yes. driving in the rain and then they stay on the track and they pass each other and there's tire strategy and, you know, you know, Ferrari screws up the strategy and everyone goes classic Ferrari. I mean, that's great. Yeah. I love all that, yeah. <laughs> you know, but you're right. I mean, there's a lot of danger in uh, driving on one of these street circuits in, in the rain. So I do wish they'd, they'd started the race earlier when, before it really kind of came down, but um but yeah, obviously when it's when it's monsooning, it gets a little gets a little hairy. A little a, li- a little hairy. That was uh, that was crazy. The, the other thing that really helps me, um, my wife is super into it, like die hard into it. Like w- we turn on practice and stuff, and she'll she'll watch it too, and she tracks you know how how, how the all the change. She knows about some of the changes and stuff that teams bring to the cars like before. Oh, nice. She's a big. Lewis fan, so she is a yeah, yeah. die-hard Lewis. My fan girlfriend loves Lewis too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's shocker that the women love love. Lewis. Yeah, I don't what why I don't understand why I, I, I can't I can't I can't figure out why that is. Uh, yeah, it's, it's also it's why some of my favorite female actresses are uh, shocker attractive, not the not yeah. the hideous ones. But um, <laughs> so anyway, that, that enough enough F one. I was just mostly interested to see how how that was going, but because like you said. I, I I like all the other different stuff. Like I talk, we talk about fantasy football for a living. I, of course I enjoy it. I think about it way too fucking much, like way too much of my, my mental headspace comes from thinking about fantasy football, but like the other stuff is what helps keep me energized for that. Yeah. The reason yeah, I can yeah. show up every single day and stream and talk about in fucking may stream and talk about fantasy football draft strategy is because I have these other passions, right? I've listened to the low post, which I tout way too much, but it's an NBA podcast. It's like one of the, one of my, it's probably my favorite podcast that exists, but they're just talking about like the ins and outs and X's and O's of NBA matchups and all that kind of stuff. And I love listening to that, right? F1 and like other stuff. I, I like business and investing and, and, and that kind of stuff. I think I've heard you mention some of the other things that, uh, um, you are kind of into outside of, of that stuff, um, mainly podcasts. Maybe it was on with Davis, but what else is there that uh, takes up your time other than, you know, Snapshare data and targets per route run? <laughs> yeah, outside of the targets per route run. I mean, there's, <laughs> I don't, as far as hobbies go, like I, uh, I've played guitar for a while, but I haven't been, it's kind of gotten out of the mm. habit with that. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. I, uh, Started when I was 18 and I was in a band in, in college and uh, actually for a number of years after college, we came up to New York and would do shows. And that's like one of the reasons that New York was kind of appealing. To, I ended up finding a job up here, but I was like kind of looking around New York. And so mm-hmm. uh, one of the reasons I ended up here in a way. Uh, 
but like yeah i kind of i'm a little all or nothing with with certain things and that's one of them where it's like i'm i'm either like really good about playing pretty much every day or i kind of fall out of the habit so yeah um i haven't been doing that as much but yeah i mean like at this point it's kind of you know it's it's may june in uh in new york so trying to trying to get out and enjoy the super nice weather uh while we have the chance to take him a dog to the the dog beach in Prospect Park, be nice. playing dog a lot of beach. fetch, playing a lot of yeah. There's a pond that you can take them down to, and that they all swim oh. into the pond trying to teach them to swim. That's awesome. Um, yeah. FF so Dumas, FF Dumas, what kind of music um, do you guys or did you guys play? We did mostly. I mean, it was it was all covers, and a lot of it was like. So when. Uh, so I was born in 86. So going to, by the time we're playing in this band, it's like 2006. And so a lot of the cover bands at that time were doing like 80 stuff. Yep. Like kind of like the classic, you know, cover band, you know, a lot of journey, like a lot of just like, so we started doing all the 90s stuff. Which is like kind okay. of more for our for our generation, like all the stuff like we grew up listening to and yeah. to like you know Red Hot Chili Peppers and you know just kind of like uh, Third Eye Blind and like all that um, that kind of ninety. So we did stuff from like classic rock and and everything else too. But you know we did Zeppelin and all that. But uh, yeah, we did we did a lot of like nineties covers that got people people drinking their Red Bull vodkas, you know. Yes, yes, I love that. Every time uh, this is going to make me sound sound stupid, but every time I think of uh, when people talk about like cover bands and like what what will you know everybody has certain uh, things they can and cannot play as a as a cover band, and I always think of uh, Step Brothers at the end when they're at the Catalina Wine Mixer, and yes. uh, the guy keeps requesting songs, and he's like. I exclusively said we play '80s Joel, you know. Yeah. That's, why went, that's why I went. That's why when they asked, like, "What did you guys play?" That's all I could think of was like Pat being like, "Oh yeah, '80s Joel." We play. We play '80s, 80s Joel. Joel. Yeah, yeah. We we. I mean, but you do get that people are like requesting various songs, and then you slowly do start to become like like the the evolution of a cover band is that you become kind of more like the cover band that you're like these guys suck. We need to be different, yeah. and then like two years later, you have like. You have like ninety percent set overlap with that band. We're yeah. like, yeah, but we play Sublime, and they only play that one Sublime song. We do three, so we're better. <laughs> right? They exactly. don't play Bad Fish, David, you know? Yeah, yeah, right. David says never too late to pick it back up. He played a ton in high school, stopped playing in his twenties, and then picked it up back up during COVID. Yeah, uh, I also picked up uh, well some bad hobbies, mostly bad, typically during uh, the the COVID time, like eating poorly and drinking too much. But um, yeah, COVID was good for uh, picking up some of that stuff. So as we start to wrap up, I'm going to circle it kind of all the way back to the whole best ball fantasy football stuff. Something that has like been a a big, um, you know, just a big thing for me this this summer is how chaotic this offseason was. And in particular, like for best ball drafts, for main event drafts, maybe even for dynasty and stuff, too. Has there been anything that's like been a theme of like, holy shit, Russell Wilson's on a different team. Devontae Adams is on a different team, right? AJ Brown is on a different team. Hollywood, blah, blah, blah. There's been so much kind of chaos and change that 
most years we can come in with like at least some sense of confidence and kind of at least like how the offense is going to be uh, all those kinds of things. Has there been anything so far during your off season where you've been, you know, that that's been a, a theme, whether it's like a strategy or, or just something you feel passionate about? Well, I guess one of the things that I'm feeling like right now is that like, we're not done, you know, like some of the, like, like Julio hasn't signed, right. Fuller hasn't signed. Gronk hasn't declared if he's coming back. And I do feel like those are kind of, I'm drafting all of those players. Like, cause I'm just like, if we're, if we're treating now, like the off season's over when it's literally June 1st, like that's, that's a mistake. Cause the off season's not over. We've got a ton yep. more to go. And so, um, yeah, I guess just like reminding myself that there's like a lot more chaos to come. I think Davis maybe was on the podcast that you guys did together. Or one of one, one of them, he was just like, wait until, wait until the first ACL tear. You know, it's like, guess what? Like one of these quarterbacks is going to get hurt, you know? Yeah. Like Matthew Stafford has this elbow thing. That's like probably nothing. And like, you know, 95% of simulations of this, of this uh, universe, it's nothing. But like 5%, he's, he's screwed. <laughs> you know, like there's yeah. a bunch of, there's a bunch of stuff like that. That's, that's headed our way. And so, um, you know, I think like, drafting like that right now makes sense like trying to figure out if there's ways you can you can benefit from chaos i don't know has anyone come up with a strategy that helps you benefit from chaos eric uh specifically <laughs> at the running back position i don't know so much uh, you come up with. i don't know we're not allowed <laughs> to talk about it though uh, yeah only positive thoughts uh on this on this show and anytime you mention that strategy that shall not be named people people don't particularly don't particularly <laughs> like it i actually did so i'm on this thing now right where I pretty much only post to Twitter like to make myself laugh and not like because what I'm saying is funny, but because if you say something like sarcastic or clearly stupid or whatever, there's always going to be serious like replies and stuff. Right. I literally posted yesterday that like you can't draft tra- like you're an idiot if you draft Trey Lance and Javante Williams, blah, 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 blah. And one guy like quote tweets me. Right. And like, like has a, uh, a Joe Holka-esque thread afterwards uh-huh. that is just like a million reasons why I was wrong. And I'm like, I, clearly, I, I don't know how to say it any more sarcastically and people will still pick up on it, right? But the zero RB thing, I've been trying to like push that. Like I did a, I, I told people I was going to draft a zero RB team, but then I drafted a zero RB team and I made sure to draft both my quarterbacks on the same buy and both my tight ends on the same <laughs> buy. So we went full <laughs> zero RB. <laughs> <laughs> with quarterbacks and tight ends both on a bye and then i just posted it and i muted it and like ran oh. away and then like came came back the next day to see nothing but are don't don't you know you can't do this you can't you know and it was so many and it's so funny but i've been trying to take that approach as opposed to like i don't really need to argue with you know liam on twitter or whatever about how much gabe davis you should have but that that has been we talked about the like hobbies i guess that's filling <laughs> that's your NBA, hobby drafting NBA, guys on the same five week nba basketball and drafting teams that can't win just to post the <laughs> i mean I'm that's sweating. brilliant you know yeah. this is a, a kind of this is not that related but for some reason it made me think of it i have been intrigued by especially in the puppy which is like you know it's like it's going to end and so, therefore, like, we're never going to get the normies in there. You know, yep. it's it's, it's going to be a population of drafts that never have normies. So, right. like, trying to do some stuff that's a little weird. And one of the things I've been thinking is, like, 
uh, I guess just like doing stuff that's gross is what made me think of this. But like taking a Derrick Henry in a spot where I would not normally take Derrick Henry and then building a team that like I love outside of that one thing. And then like hoping the hope is that like it's very few normies in the puppy, but maybe there's like enough to where, you know, there's, there's a guy in there going like, I can't believe I'm getting all these running backs. These values are insane. Right. So you end up with like Derrick Henry or Leonard Fournette or James Conner or whatever. is kind of the poster child of that strategy of the scoop, the running back value strategy. And that's who you're going up against in the puppy, right? So if you then build like if Derrick Henry, who, by the way, has an incredible playoff schedule, you know, uh, fantasy playoff schedule to get you to week 17, uh, it's got the Chargers and then the Texans. I mean, it's pretty yeah. easy to imagine how Derrick Henry is the guy you needed to have to yeah. get you to week 17. And then you show up in week 17 and you've got this like breakout candidate, like all the upside backs, like. You know, rookie wide receivers like stacks all the all the correlation stuff built that way. You know, I think there's something to be said in the puppy specifically. Maybe you you uh, you get like intentionally gross. That is really that is really interesting. See, I love. I think that's what this. Uh, I think yeah. We, uh, if you're if you're in the chat, we got the sex bots rolling, and I'm trying to block them as quick as they come in. But uh, uh, apologies for that. I, I love using this time to try out those those different things. And I also love um, piggybacking on what you said that I think people don't do. I certainly didn't do last year. I, I don't know how many people do. Looking at the tournament that you're drafting in right now that we have multiple puppies, you have this insane $5 tournament on, on DraftKings that has nearly a million people in it, right? You obviously have Best Ball Mania 3. We're probably going to have like a big dog and God knows what else, right? We'll probably have a super flex team draft, all this stuff. And like looking at just that, like look at just this puppy. It's going to be open for a week, right? And like you said, right. knowing who you're drafting against for that week and knowing ADP, blah, blah, blah. And taking one weird approach, right? Like you said, doing something just a little bit different, but then going building my great structure around this one little thing, Derrick Henry, whatever. And like approaching that tournament, because like in Best Ball Mania, it's like, I don't know, I'm probably not going to do that. Like I'm not really drafting yeah, Derrick Henry, yeah, yeah. blah, blah, blah. But taking that approach in this one tournament, right? That's the one tournament. Like I'm doing things kind of on DraftKings in that $5 because a, it's only five dollars. It's a five dollar shot at a million dollars, and like honestly, like, I'm not gonna win it, right? Like, I just, and so there's a million fucking people in the tournament. I, I just yeah. know that I'm not gonna win it, so I'm taking yeah. crazy stands and doing some things that I would never do. But doing that, like from within each tournament, is something. It's like kind of a next level thing I'm trying to think about this summer. Yeah, and, and the idea kind of came to me with the Derrick Henry thing of like, I mean, partly I was just looking at the schedules and going, Derrick Henry's gonna bury me. I'm not going to have him. And then he's going to get the Chargers and he's going to get the Texans. And it's going to be all Derrick Henry teams in week 17. And I'm going to be like, I went underweight because he's old. (laughs) It's not going to be fun. But uh, that's like, it's going to rain. That's like the, it's going to rain. Like, why, why did you fade Derrick Henry? Well, he's old. You know, that's all you got. Like, that's all you cling to. Um, But Connor Driscoll had a good article on Rotoviz about, hero running back and kind of one of the issues with it is that like one it's a very popular strategy and then two i mean it seems like very obvious in retrospect but it like hadn't really clicked for me it's like there's gonna be a bunch of the same teams that are all in the in the finals like they're all 
it's gonna be a bunch of hero running back teams of the hero running backs that had good week 15s and 16s. Like it's just yep. obviously what's gonna happen. So if you know that, if you know like I'm gonna go hero running back, he's he's got some good tips for like things that you can do structurally that are already structurally sound to get you a little bit more unique. But like part of it is like, what if I go here a running back with a running back that people who don't pay attention to structure as much tend to like? Yep. A hundred percent. Right. The, like, if, if you're a zero or hero running back, bro, Derrick Henry's not your guy. So he's no. less likely to be on those teams, right? Those guys take Jonathan Taylor and Cooper, or Cooper Christian McCaffrey, the Antonio Gibsons, right? The DeAndre Swifts. Those are the people that, that DeAndre Swift is a hundred percent. Yeah. That's who they're all taking. Cause that's who I want to take. But I'm like, yeah, no, right. you take, you can't take Swift in the second. You'll take Henry now, you know, and you pair yeah. him with Debo or whatever. Uh, Mark Andrews, I think is how I started the one today. Um, but it's like, yeah, you're, you're kind of pushing yourself off your, your comfort zone. And then hopefully Derek Henry crushes the playoffs and, I'm competing against a bunch of guys who went running back, running back to start, or, you know, yep. They drafted five running backs in the first eight rounds, which you shouldn't do, you know, <laughs> don't, tell, don't, don't tell the, don't tell the people that, um, Aaron Jones, Aaron Jones is a weird one. Cause, um, if it's, he, I, I think it's fine. He, I don't, I don't have a really good read on him because, um, I, I feel like he's a guy that just like the zero hero running back guys are, are fine. Are like are okay with Aaron Jones. He's not Derrick Henry, but he's also not DeAndre Swift, you know, from a infatuation level. But like, you know, like a ETR and stuff will have someone like Aaron Jones highly ranked. So yeah, he, he's a diff, he's a difficult one. Derrick Henry's the easy one to like point out and and say kind of how the the types of drafters would approach. Yeah, but I do. I mean, there is this, and I you were talking about this with Leone. With Leone like, there's this tier of running backs that starts kind of in the mid second and goes to like the mid third. Cause Connor's falling now after the Daryl Williams signing. And I think he's in that yeah. tier where it's like, I think all of those guys can be hero running back builds. Like maybe not Kamara because he's probably getting suspended and he's been really difficult for me to, I'd be curious on your thoughts on Kamara. Cause he's been so difficult, but I think any of those guys, Saquon, Connor, Kamara, Fournette, uh, Swift, Javante, like you can do, uh, hero running back builds I think with with any of them and that's not technically hero running back if you get him in the third round and so maybe that pushes off you know if you get the guy in the third round you know he's got like of those running backs that have more of that third round ADP right now my guess is people are building those less as hero running backs I mean first of all yes. they may have already taken a running back and then they're like oh this guy's in the third I'm also going to take him so just naturally they're going to be less one running back builds around those running backs. But then also I think like, if you get a guy in the third, you're, you're more likely to maybe pick up a guy in the fifth or something. I'm actually doing a lot of that approach. So I'm drafting a ton of zero running back teams right now, um, which is a little bit part of my early drafting strategy. It's pretty much like all exclusively hero and zero. I've tried some hyper fragile, like just like everybody else does. But then you quickly realize when you draft enough that that guess what? Your Christian McCaffrey, um, Aaron Jones, Saquon team is like everyone. It's like last year's CMC, what Ceh right. and Najee team or whatever. It's like guess what? Thirty percent of the field has that, <laughs> you know, that has that start. Like if it if it hits. 
if that hits, like it's like playing in a you know a, a DK fifty fifty on any Sunday. It's like congratulations, you and eighty percent of the field have Alexander Madison. Like you know, it doesn't right. really matter. And so, so many people are building that way with that little pocket of the draft. So, like to your point, um, I'm trying to use them as anchors, as 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 here right here. Uh, I think Bullock said it. Uh, no, Hacker said hero Saquon. It's like third round Saquon Barkley is just so crazy to me. And the fact that I can get like Justin Jefferson, AJ Brown and Saquon Barkley on the same team is absolutely insane. So I'm trying to approach things, things that way on Camara. And then David, I promise we'll hit the, the Nick Chubb thing. Sorry. I know you've asked it like four times and I said we were, we would, we would talk about it. Uh, Kamara is very similar. Um, I think, it actually came up on ship chasing last year where I was largely out on just like the saints period. And I think what I called them was like a house of cards offense, but I feel like that still again this year, like it's bet They're better. Like Michael Thomas theoretically is going to be back and fine. And you would do have an, at least a little bit of an influx of talent with, with Olave finally, like a young person, you know, uh, someone under the age of 27 on the offense, but like, you know, they were in such cap hell that, they really couldn't do much. They couldn't do anything on the offensive line. They lost offensive linemen. Like I like Jameis, generally speaking. We're still talking about a very sketchy, like real life NFL quarterback. Yeah, off of a serious, serious knee injury. Right. They even came out. Uh, I think I saw just just recently that it wasn't even just like an ACL. Right. He had the other stuff, MCL, PCL. So he had a really serious knee injury. Who knows what's up with Michael Thomas? Right. I know there are some people in our Spike Week Discord that are like adamant that like he's never going to be back um, with that that ankle thing, which I certainly understand uh, that perspective. Jarvis Landry is like older than us, uh, you know, and nobody particularly really wanted really wanted Jarvis Landry. And he just like doesn't make it move for me. And this is a slow team that wants to run the ball and play defense and has for like, you know, since the last what? three years of Drew Brees, like even it, it was the last like two or three years of Drew Brees, they were playing slow and, and running and stuff. And I don't see, they're not changing that with Jameis. They're still trying to win, right? They're, they're all in trying to win right now with basically with their defense and running game and Jameis not making mistakes. Like, like they don't, they don't want Jameis to throw 50 times. That's not the recipe for them to make the playoffs. So that just concerns me with Kamara and really all, all of the Saints. Olave is, you know, the rookie, and I, I can see paths to him exceeding. But I also don't like, I, like he, he's more expensive than Garrett Wilson, who went yeah. ahead of him, and I think is better. And I think is better. He's better. It, 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 yeah, it just doesn't make sense. Nothing makes sense on the Saints to me. And then, like you said, you have the Camara suspension risk. So I just don't really know. I don't have a big, uh, I don't have a big, uh, uh, super super strong take other than like I just don't really feel comfortable with with any of the saints, because it seems like about as fragile of a situation as you can get. That makes me feel better about Kamara. Cause it does feel like, you know, he's such a good pass catcher and, you know, he's kind of got, he's the right archetype of running back, but he's, he's older now than we want. And yep. his, his rushing efficiency fell off significantly last year, which is not a good sign when you're already concerned about an <laughs> H cliff. You know, yeah. Which, by the way, also happened to Derrick Henry. Derrick Henry got there on volume last year and then exited with a foot injury. So, don't he don't say I'm, I'm not. Yeah, he was. I'm not touting Derrick Henry. Back. I'm just yeah. doing something gross in the puppy. Um, but 
But yeah, Camaro worries me, but he also worries me where it's like, you know, 208 pass catching specialist who was still quite good in the passing game and who was 100% going to be the the pass catching uh, running back in that offense in an offense that now might be more functional with, Mm -hmm. I mean, adding Olave and Thomas, assuming he comes back and Landry Landry. together is like a huge deal for an offense. I mean, Traquan Smith, Marcus Calloway, Deontay Harris or whatever, it's not, it's not going to cut it. So that's like, you know, maybe they actually lean into the pass a little bit. I mean, they were so run heavy last year, but the defense does scare me because it's good. And I think they're going to be, you know, the defense scares me enough where I'm like a little less excited about stacking them, stacking up like the Eagles week 17 because they're going to go I against know. the Saints. Like it I actually, got, their defense like legit worries me. It's good. And and it, their defense has been super underrated. It's actually uh, something from DFS that has uh, you know, spilled over for me from a best ball perspective that like their defense is like really, really good. I'm not saying like, like the, the Rams defense, like graded out well last year. And it's generally pretty good. I mean, they have Aaron Donald and, and Jalen Ramsey, but like they weren't, it wasn't a thing that like you just had to avoid guys against the Rams. Right. It wasn't that type of a situation. A lot of the right. times that's what it was for the saints, like in DFS. Again, I'm bringing this from it. Like people would be like, Oh look, the total cause it's in a dome. Maybe they're playing the bucks or whatever. And it's like, oh, look, it's a 50 total. It's in the dome. Everybody else is outside. We got to go stack this game. But their defense is like, can be like lights out level good. Um, and so, yes, uh, I'm not going to not draft any Eagles because I like all the Eagles uh, the same. But some people were kind of talking about that also in the Discord. And I was just like, I know it's far out. I know, you know, there's issues yeah. with predicting, predicting that stuff. However, I do believe that we can predict at least – on on you know the, the very good and the very bad ends way more accurately we can predict who the good defenses and 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 bad defenses are than like any individual player right you tell me right. who's going to be the, the the guy i need in week 17 i never would have told you i'm on ross st brown last year okay but i probably could have told you that 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 game wasn't necessarily going to be very good defenses the seahawks did not project to be very good defense the lions projected to be a horrible defense and look at what happened. I mean, they were the team that gave up the most points. Um, the Chiefs actually were did not project to be a very good defense, even though, you know, we talk about their offense and stuff all the time. So I do feel like we can a little bit more accurately project that kind of stuff. And so I have dinged um, the Eagles a smidge. But it just yeah. went from I really wanted to – I like I really wanted all the Eagles to now I'm just like being more moderate about my exposure. That's how I am. I haven't dinged them really. I just haven't done the thing I wanted to do, which was go really, really hard on the Eagles. Correct. You know, Same. That's so like I have more T Higgins than I probably would have because I would have been going exactly. more AJ Brown, you know, whatever it yep. is. Um more of that third round running back group or whatever. So yeah, I'm with you there. I also think that like I'm not fe- I'm not worried about the Bills, even though the Bills might have a really good defense. Because part yep. of it for me is like one thing I think that we can predict decently well is who these teams want to be. And yes. the Saints want to win with their defense, and they are generally, I think, going to have to be pushed to the air. They're going to be content to win the game with conservative offense and, and defense. And they're going to, I think, correctly think that that is a viable path for them and maybe maybe the most viable path for them with, with Jameis at quarterback. So yep. if you look at the Bills, like – they obviously lost Dayball, but they're, the offense, they do have some offensive stability behind him. Yeah. Um, was it Dorsey they promoted? Ken, and I think Ken they're going to be, yeah. yeah, they're going to be pretty similar on offense. And obviously, you know, the quarterback's driving this more than anything. 
So are they going to go into Cincinnati and try to win with their defense? Like, I no, I don't think they will. Like, I'm willing to bet pretty heavily that that won't be the Bills' approach in Week 17. Obviously, injuries and stuff could crop up and, and things could change. But, like, if I have an offense that really trusts itself and is talented, then I care way less about the defense. Because defense is hard to predict. But the Saints scare me because, like, their whole season is counting on the fact that they have this really good defense, and it, it looks like they do. Yeah, exactly. It's a combination of a lot of those things, right? So, like, I, I believe passionately that we can say the Saints will probably be a good defense. Yes, anything can happen. And that's what people love to say, like, uh, well, look at the Ravens last year. It's like, yes, if we picked – that's like the Devontae Adams argument, right, of, like, shitty – third year wide receiver <laughs> right you're like you're like there's nothing that says this dude is going to be good but remember Devonte adams <laughs> Devonte adams was once bad and you're like yeah if we treat every bad player like Devonte <laughs> adams then yeah i can't really argue with you right so yes if everyone on the saints defense tears their acl like happened to the ravens right if all of their corners and everyone gets hurt i agree we probably will want to attack those guys however that that is is a form of variance that is way different in like that exists in players too, right? Players, Derrick Henry got hurt last year. Was that, were we on the right side of variance? Was it a good fade? I don't know. I have no idea, but like, it's just variance and that's how it works out. Individual players are more highly variant projecting their week 17 <laughs> right now than us projecting a defense. Again, it's not like we, uh, like, I'm not projecting okay, are the Saints going to be the fifth best defense or the ninth best defense? <laughs> right. No, I'm just generally like – I'm projecting them for .3 interceptions yeah. in that game, but uh, it's actually .35 after they signed uh, Tyron Matthew. All else equal, we can project that the Saints are probably going to be a better defense than, than a lot of these other teams. And to your point, then you take that when you're approaching the Week 17 games and combine it with the fact that everything you outlined about how the Saints want to be I think we can be pretty accurate in that, right? How the Bills want to be, how the Chiefs want to be, how the Chargers want to be. We can figure out these teams and how they want to play, combine it with kind of all the other stuff, right? Is it in the Dome? Is it, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And it's like, man, the Saints are one of the scary bets, right? Look what happened to the Cowboys last year when their defense was better than we thought they were, right? They come out week one and throw it 75 times or whatever it was against the Bucks, And we're all just like, oh my God, we were right about this Cowboys yeah. thing. And then they go into their shell basically for like the rest right. of the season. Dak, maybe, I don't know if it was the health with the arm thing. He didn't look to be very good. And they turned into a Mike McCarthy is want. their head coach. Yeah, so, uh, you know, but they didn't want to be that team <laughs> right. that we saw right. in week one. And that was the big thing. The defense being better was part of that, but that's like the saints thing. They would need the Ravens esque situation to happen in order for them to just hand the keys over to Jameis because they don't. Nobody wants to hand the keys. Jameis probably doesn't want them to hand the keys over over to Jameis. You know, <laughs> he he wants to win, not be the guy throwing it. You know, throwing crazy interceptions and getting benched like he used to. Right. Yeah. I mean, obviously, you need a ton of luck to be able to nail any any of the stuff. But like, you guys had Rashad Penny on your your finals team, and yep. it's like Seattle running back against a bad defense like that's that worked <laughs> you yeah. know a lot of Liam, a lot of crazy Liam. stuff Alex Collins was starting in between that yeah, but you know right. you, you got there <laughs> right Liam actually talked about that and again I think it's important to talk about like I, 
it's it's mainly at you know again the barbell thing. It's at the the extremes of of defensive performance. I feel very confident we can say you will be happy that you have a player going against the Texans in week 17 and I, you will be happy with a player going against the lions in week 17, right? You'll be happy uh, with a player in a game that the bills are playing in, right? Even though their defense projects to be great. Your, your, that game environment is good. Those things I think we can say positive things about it's, you know, in that middle ground, I don't know. And like I said, Liam talked about that actually on the episode he did of this, that he projected out that the lions were going to be a great matchup. So he had a ton of Rashad Penny. He also, if I, if I, if you watch this, Liam, message me or whatever. I think he said he had a lot of Chris Carson, or like was drafting Chris Carson, which is like funny because that is not that you know I I don't I did not take Chris Carson one time. I don't think I think we might have took him on ship chasing when he fell to like the tenth round once when I was on or something like that. I can't you know? believe we I can't believe we cracked. Yes, but that's what, you know he's a fourth round pick that we that we <laughs> memed into the tenth round. So we're like oh you know and then we Shouldn't joke, have taken whatever. Him. But you know what I mean? He was targeting a pick that yeah. if you if you don't look at week 17, you're like, fuck no, I don't want Chris Carson uh, on my but, team. But he was playing that matchup. I listened to that episode, so I think that was in my brain uh, with that. But yeah, I mean, like, if you want, I mean, okay, I think I can tie it all, all together here for us, Eric. We're talking about the dynasty takes, talking about these week 17 takes. Ooh, yes. Jaguars running back going against the Texans. Travis Etienne is someone I think in Dynasty is like a no-brainer acquisition because he's getting valued as if he's like significantly less valuable than Brees Hall. For for PPR specifically, I think like his his profile really rivals Hall. I mean, he was a first-round pick. Hall was not. He's an incredible pass catcher. Not like it's astounding, but but a better pass catching profile than than Hall. And great elusiveness which was something Hall also has really strong breakaway numbers as well from Travis Etienne, which, which Hall has as well. The thing you don't love about Etienne is like, is he going to be a workhorse, which is that's kind of Hall's thing, but Hall's in the jets on the jets where they really value having a, a running back by committee. I mean, the uh, Connor Hughes was saying he thinks their OC LaFleur is like philosophically committed to a running back by committee. Meanwhile, you get, Travis Etienne is probably going to be in a committee, but that's his whole thing, man. He's he's DeAndre Swift. Like, the bet is that he's DeAndre Swift, so committee's fine for him because he's got the pass-catching profile. So, like, as I'm looking at these guys in Dynasty, and I like Hall. I think he's the 101, you know, totally fine to take him and everything. And I think he's a good value in best balls as well, particularly on underdog. But Etienne is like, man, this guy's – why are we treating him like he's not in Hall's tier in Dynasty? So he's been someone that I've just really been hammering – and I kind of treat like Hall. I'll take Hall uh, in some drafts, but I know I can kind of push it with Hall because I have the ETN backstop. I really like getting one of those guys. And you you also get that Jaguars running back against the Texans. And then you also have the Falcons who are going to be pushed to the air in week 17 because they're going up against the Cardinals and potentially an up-tempo game. So we're going to get some – we got a slow team, a team that wants to be slow, a team that doesn't want to get embarrassed. But – they're probably just going to have to air it out a little bit more than they'd like in week 17. We've got a guy in Kyle Pitts who's like a top oh, five baby. startup pick. The, the dynasty community thinks this guy's like going to change the dynasty landscape for a decade. <laughs> and, you know, it's like, but we can't project him for enough targets this year. It's like, he does start, he does kind of feel like a guy. And I, and I like Andrews a lot, you know, and I like 
Kittle and Waller's prices are incredible right now, so I'm drafting them yep. a lot too. So it's not like Pitts to me really stands out among the elite tight ends necessarily from a redraft perspective. But just if you put on that dynasty lens, like he has not done it yet and people are still taking him as the tight end one when Mark Andrews is like 25 going on 26 and just had the tight end one season and people are like, nope, not interested in a mid-20s tight end one, would rather have <laughs> Kyle Pitts. I mean, the the level of optimism on Kyle Pitts and Dynasty is off the charts. Now, that could be wrong, but, yeah. like, it does create, I think, an upside case for Pitts that could really change things this year in, in redraft. Like, if we're using Dynasty to help us identify the guys that we might need to have, Kyle Pitts really jumps out. I love that. I love this. This is, this is how you do content. This is how you, like you said, you pull it all, you pull it all back, back together and to piggyback on and also pull it back together. What, what I would call Travis Etienne's kind of upside case. Um, you mentioned, De- you mentioned DeAndre Swift. I think it's, it's probably DeAndre Swift on steroids, more like Alvin Kamara, mm-hmm. um, you know, Alvin Kamara, like early stage Alvin, Kamara. like I love DeAndre Swift. But like Alvin Kamara was, you know, I'm not sure that DeAndre Swift even has has that, you know, Alvin Kamara was like arguably the most valuable fantasy asset when, um, you know, he would steal a little bit more of some of that that yep. early down stuff, right? Whether Mark Ingram got hurt or Latavius got hurt or whatever. And we saw like 75, 80% snap share Alvin Kamara. It was like he was CMC, maybe even better than, than, than CMC. He was CMC on an actually good and competent offense. You know, and I think that's the Travis Etienne bull case is like he's just so good that he has this, like you said, same built in kind of floor as DeAndre Swift with the pass catching, same talent, um, you know, built in floor with the talent. But then he has this nuclear upside case that is like, yeah, he's just the second coming of Alvin Kamara, except maybe even a little more explosive, like from a straight, like a breakaway. Yeah, from a straight line. Kamara's not really that fast, actually. He's just the most elusive dude. ever well used to be and so and we also have the uncertainty with the jaguars that's like i mean we think they stink because they stunk last year but i mean who knows trevor lawrence was a great quarterback prospect they did just spend a bunch of money even though we thought it was like a weird inefficient way for them to spend all this money but like they loaded up the offense if lawrence stinks if lawrence stinks now he just stinks um you know, same thing with like Zach Wilson and Tua, et cetera. And so there's a lot of baked in upside around that uncertainty, right? The uncertainty breeds the upside. And so, uh, I, yeah, I'm smashing Travis Etienne as well. So uh, you're definitely not going to get me to say anything negative about, about <laughs> Kyle Pitts. That is that is my guy. I feel like I'm also part of the reason why the Dynasty community is so not like I'm an active, super active member of it. But that's me. I'm like in my home leagues. There's the other shitty part about doing content. I'm like in my home leagues and I'm, I'm doing everything I could to give away the farm to get Kyle Pitts. And mm-hmm. like the dude, just like, the dude just like, yeah, I just don't really think I want to trade him. I'm like, okay, six firsts. You know, I'm like, what do you want for Kyle? I'm like, I just want to enjoy this team with my guys. Like give me Trey Lance and give me Kyle Pitts guys, please. Like, what do you want? I'm asking for you to take all of my assets and I, he plays Arizona. You talked about it from like a game environment perspective. My sneaky kind of take is the Arizona defense is going to be awful. That's like my, All right. I think that they are going to be terrible. And sadly, they also just had one of their starting corners died. Uh, Jeff Gladney died in a, a car wreck the other day. And so, I mean, that's obviously very sad, but a bad defense just lost a starting, 
starting cornerback to a, a sudden death at the start of camp. Um, I am, God damn it, this damn sex bot keeps coming in here. This is just technical difficulty season uh, summarized with uh, with with Pat Green. But to tie it all together, we've got Alvin Kamara's fading away, but we have the next Alvin Kamara who draws the Texans in week 17. And we have the dynasty takes that are giving us the undervalued assets in basketball one of, boom, season, season solved. One of which is that if you look at Superflex ADP, uh, we're looking at Trevor Lawrence. We just did a ship chasing league and Trevor Lawrence, I believe was a 302 in that league, went ahead of Brees Hall. So, you know, still above the 101 in yeah. essentially Trevor Lawrence was the, the Superflex 101 in this startup, which I think on the trade market and as someone who just tried to shop Trevor Lawrence, you won't find that in 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 the already drafted leagues. That one of the funny things about Dynasty is like start value can can like have nothing to do with your your league's trade value, but new leagues are still valuing Trevor Lawrence very highly, and so for all sorts of reasons, you know he doesn't fit the best ball target profile necessarily because he doesn't have the player archetype that we I mean he's not a bad target but you know we're not we're not jamming Trevor Lawrence necessarily but like optimism for the Jaguars offense uh you I think Dynasty would definitely give you a, a little calm your nerves anyway on, on Trevor Lawrence where like people are for the most part still willing to bet on Trevor Lawrence is if he's like you know, a borderline generational type of quarterback. And we also know that they're a team that's going to want to not look like an Urban Meyer team. They're they're yeah. going to to want to not look like Daryl Bevel is the offense coordinator anymore, which means <laughs> getting the ball out quickly, getting the ball, getting completions. And so ETN is like literally having played with Trevor Lawrence when ETN was, was just incredibly productive. Um, I think will really help. Like if it's ever going to help, it, it would be uh, a situation where the quarterback's coming off a bad year and wants to make sure that he is able to complete the ball more accurately and, and, you know, at a higher rate. So, I mean, I hope we didn't, didn't steam up Travis Etienne too much, but we, we probably, we probably, we probably uh, just, just did. Um, but I think the, uh, my dogs are sick of us sitting here talking. They're over here, like beating the shit out of each other behind me. Um, as we're wrapping up, I think they got. A, I think it's time for a walk, a little, a little bottled up energy. But what, uh, what do you got kind of on the horizon? What is the general like summer plan? What are you guys going to do with with ship chasing? Not even just around best ball, maybe around the main event. Have you guys kind of mapped out the summer, or, or just what's what's on your time horizon these next couple of months? Yeah, ship chasing. I mean, we're drafting already. We got a draft tonight with Leone uh, doing doing a FFPC best ball draft. But we have mapped out main events because the main events go live. Like uh, the main event starts in July, but it's not until I think the first week of August, second week of August, where they actually do the live streams. Okay. Um, so we're doing those. Like we should be doing one the first weekend that it kicks off, and then uh, like one to two a week from that point on. So lots of main event streams on ship chasing, which is like. You know, we do lots of best ball drafts. We draft more than we ever have on ship chasing because because everyone's drafting more than they ever have just in yeah. their lives. Um, but you know, that's that was the real core of ship chasing. Uh, how we started main event drafts. So we're we're still doing a ton of main event drafts. Once, Somebody's once that got gets to. Gone. Somebody's got. And to. then we don't need everybody doing best ball mania drafts. Somebody's got to stick to the core of fantasy football. 
Yeah, and then I was I've, I'm still kind of getting the research kicked off, but I, I have an idea for a best ball related article that I want to that I want to write. I need to I need to get good uh, good ADP uh, from the last like few years. That's that's the thing I need to get good ADP with with scoring. And uh, yeah, so once I get that all sorted and stuff, then I'll um, I think I'll have some interesting interesting thoughts on how we can like maybe simplify some of the structure stuff we're talking about. Mm, I love that. That's a, uh, I, I got a backlog of stuff I want to like research and write about. And uh, as I'm sure you probably similarly do, it's like, I have a, a half baked idea. I think about it for a little bit, maybe even start working on something and then I don't finish it and we move on to the next. And like, I have all this different stuff that I want to do. So, so uh, we'll be we'll definitely be looking forward to that. Um, if you haven't read Pat's, he, we talked touched on a little bit of uh, some of the running back upside stuff last year. He wrote uh, a multi-part series on legendary upside for running backs, which is literally absolutely must read material, especially for best ball players um, for, for all fantasy football. But I think it's extremely applicable for best ball. And definitely of course, if you're free tonight, make sure to go check out my friends at ship chasing. You will not, you will not be uh, uh, upset that you watched, especially with Leone on. I'm sure there will be lots of conversation about players uh, again, older than uh, the us. oldest and grossest. I'm going to have yeah. to pretend that I don't like drafting Julio Jones so I can give Leone yeah. uh, right. I mean, Julio Jones has become my sackers this year. Eric. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's okay. I'm drafting on that, on that note. <laughs> Before Give you stop. stick your foot, in, yeah. Before before you start saying things that you're going to regret in a few months, um, for my dogs and for Pat's dog and for all the chaos that has uh, made its way onto this stream, which is perfectly fitting for for a show with Pat. Thank you for joining us. I will see you guys tomorrow. Pat will see you guys tonight, and uh, we will catch you guys later.